and welcome to another episode of Are You Fucking Shitting Me? I'm Rachel. And I'm April. Happy Memorial Day weekend. This week we're doing something a little different. Uh, So we're doing a little episode where it's just April and myself sharing weird facts with each other. Just telling each other some rando factos, as we're calling them. (laughs) Because that's what we do. We call them rando factos. We don't. We've never said that before this episode, but it's going to catch on. Totally. Everyone likes a rando facto. For sure. Did I ever tell you about, um, I worked with a woman who was in like a corporate headquarters office. She was very young and she did something that was just so asinine. And I was like, oh man, super professional of you. And she's like, whatevs, I'm soups profesh. (laughs) (laughs) And it's my favorite thing anyone's (laughs) ever said to me. Where is she working now? I have no idea. (laughs) But but it's the most professional way to respond to someone saying you're unprofessional. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, (laughs) you you can't do anything with that but laugh. It endeared her to me. I still thought she was asinine, but... (laughs) But she did it in a very soups profesh way from then on. It was soups profesh. Great response. (laughs) Well, there's that new podcast called Natch Butte, which Uh, I find the name of that so funny. I'm a Natch Butte. (laughs) I need to listen to it just because the name alone is hilarious, but... So we just thought we'd share a couple strange stories that we both thought were fascinating and super bizarro. I get regular emails from this online magazine called Atlas Obscura. Have you heard of it, Rachel? Yeah, I love it. (laughs) Yeah, they send out all kinds of weird stories. And so uh, a couple weeks ago, I got sent uh, an email with a link to this story that totally made me click on it. It's, uh, It's by Natalie Zarelli. And it's uh, titled, When Squirrels Were One of America's Most Popular Pets. Did you know that squirrels were once? (laughs) I know that they're the butt of the joke on Twitter. People hate squirrels and birds. I like both of them. I just wouldn't really want a squirrel as a pet. I would. I mean, oh, really? Oh, yeah. I'd keep it in my pocket. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it'd like bite my face off or something. I just think of them as just uh, biters. I don't know. But maybe they're not. I don't know. I mean, I haven't been close enough. And probably the ones you're familiar with are real feral. (laughs) I'm guessing. Uh, Well, I don't know. I mean, what's feral, you know? (laughs) I mean, I work at a university, so on campus there are tons and tons of squirrels, and they're all super friendly, and I see them arguing with each other, and they run over and seem like they're talking to me. And Yeah, they're very brazen. I had a reason to go to UCLA for a comedy show the other day, and I forgot when you're on a campus, a university campus, they're just... There's squirrels everywhere. Oh, they run the place. (laughs) Yeah, they do run the place. (laughs) But before they ran college campuses, they were actually people's pets. They were super popular in the 18th and 19th century. According to this article, Benjamin Franklin actually wrote a tribute to a friend's squirrel who passed away. And this is what he said. He said, few squirrels were better accomplished, for he had a good education, had traveled far, (laughs) And seen much of the world. Thou art fallen by the fangs of wanton, cruel ranger. So the ranger ate him? I think he probably got eaten by a dog named Ranger. Oh, okay. That's what I'm assuming. Because I was really hoping a park ranger just... <laughs> or maybe a park ranger decided... I don't know. I, you know, I used to have a Spanish class, and the Spanish teacher <laughs> told us a story once in Spanish 
about how he and his family had eaten squirrels. At least this is what I thought the story was. And so that's what I told everyone. But it turned out later that wasn't what he said. But what did he eat? I think, he, you know, I don't know. Maybe he was just trying to get out of it. He never cleared that part up. He uh, just said that I misunderstood his Spanish. He ate squirrels. It was, <laughs> I'm sure he ate squirrels. <laughs> Back in Benjamin Franklin's day, people kept squirrels in their houses. They were the most popular pet. Wow. <laughs> According to a book uh, by a woman named Catherine Greyer, and she wrote a book called Pets in America, and they were thought to be easy to take care of, easy to keep. I want a squirrel. <laughs> yeah, so I'm just going to read from the article because I can do that. Sure. Uh, by the, <laughs> Are you sure you can? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe I can't. <laughs> by the 1700s, a golden era of squirrel ownership was in full swing. So squirrels were sold in markets, and they were found in the homes of wealthy urban families and portraits of well-to-do children often depicted them holding it says a reserved polite upper-class squirrel attached to a gold chain leash (laughs) okay i was gonna say i thought you were gonna talk about upper-class squirrels and then you did (laughs) well yeah these are upper-class squirrels they had a monocle they wore a little vest (laughs) some of these portraits are uh you can see at the met which is pretty amazing. I now want to go to the Met and see the squirrel portraits. Yeah, everything else there is crap, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> and so as far as breeds, most of the squirrels were either American gray squirrels and also red squirrels and sometimes flying squirrels. That's the one I want. <laughs> That's how they're well-traveled. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they travel from one tree to another. Just swinging around. By the 19th century, there were a ton of books that featured squirrels. uh, And a lot of books that talked about how to take care of squirrels. So it was thought that squirrels could be taught to uh, jump from one hand to another. And it would know its name, which is amazing. It could also recognize, you know, its owners. So it could recognize the person feeding it and would come and approach it and come when its name was called. That's more than I can do. <laughs> That's way more than I can do. <laughs> they, uh, they'd jump around the room. They'd peek out from behind corners of furniture and stuff. When people would give them snacks or nuts or little pieces of sugar or whatever, they would hide them just like squirrels today do. You got to put your nuts and sugar somewhere. Keep it out of sight. <laughs> the advice for keeping a squirrel was uh, when you weren't letting it run around the room, you should provide it with a tin-lined cage with a running wheel. Just like a hamster, I guess. Yeah. So. I would have thought they'd be more like ferrets. But <laughs> yeah, I guess they're closer to hamsters. Yeah. I don't know what they are. They're furry, fluffy tails. They're, they're, they're sweet little guys. They they're were so um, freaking cute. <laughs> they're so cute. So how long did this last? 18th and 19th century? Why did, why, why did they get out of fashion? So uh, so when they became popular, most people captured their pets from the wild. So they'd just kind of, you know, get a baby out of a nest. But uh, that then, seems humane. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> Saving them from, you know, abusive families and alcoholism and, <laughs> and freedom in life uh, <laughs> out in nature. It's a terrible thing. <laughs> but then they were sold in pet stores. And so it became a huge industry. And uh, you could usually buy them from bird breeders. 
Imagine like breeding a squirrel, purebred squirrel, and you're charging $2,000 like someone does for a shih tzu these days or something. Just here, this is the paperwork. It's the great, 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 great grand squirrel of (laughs) Sir Fluffy Tail. (laughs) Sir Nuts a lot. We've got the the lineage all mapped out here for you. It's going to be a great squirrel. (laughs) Yeah, and they'd have little squirrel, uh, you know, like the Westminster dog show. They would have the Westminster squirrel show. Oh, I would watch the fuck out of that. But who holds the squirrel's nuts to see if it's... (laughs) Probably the same person who holds the dog's nuts. Uh, Why are you grabbing dog's nuts, people? (laughs) What else are you going to grab? Let it run around. See if it runs right. If it takes off, shoot it. No, I'm just joking. Do not shoot it. Don't hey. shoot any animals. No shooting animals. So as as more people had them as pets, they started to become seen less as pets and more as pests. Oh, okay. So, uh, Someone got dyslexic, flipped that around. <laughs> all of a sudden, the rep is gone. You don't have a pet there. You got a pest. <laughs> it's not pets. That's pest. Oh, damn. <laughs> you spell one word incorrectly. And that leads to the downfall of an entire civilization of middle class squirrels. Oh, and the upper class. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that went out of fashion once all the regular folk got it. So they became increasingly viewed as pests. And in 1910, they were so reviled that in California, the state issued a public attack on them. Oh, enemy number one. Yeah. And in 1918, this is from another article on the Atlas Obscura, kids in California, school children, were enlisted to kill squirrels because they were thought of as pests. My, how the mighty have fallen. Terrible, So right? they really were shooting squirrels. Yeah. Yeah. Aww. And what they were trying to do, they wanted ground squirrels killed off, but it kind of... Like a game of telephone? Yeah, it wasn't really clear what a ground squirrel is. In fact, I don't know what the difference between... Well, that's what I would think, but I'm looking at a picture right here, and it looks like a prairie dog. Uh, I don't know what the difference between a ground squirrel and a tree squirrel is, and obviously neither did anyone else. (laughs) So in California, all of these squirrels ended up getting killed. And actually, the state horticulture commissioner, whose name was George Heck... He called for school soldiers to do their part for Uncle Sam and organize a company of soldiers in your class or in your school to destroy their foe, the Squirrel Army. So then there was a crusade. This is some some, bonkers shit, right? This is some bonkers, straight up bananas. Yeah, this is is totally bananas. (laughs) So then there was a seven-day frenzy known as Squirrel Week in which California tried to kill off its ground squirrels. What if um, we did that with Frat Week? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'm not proposing that we shoot frat boys. Stuff them back in their holes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so from weird pets to enemy. Okay, wait a minute. Ground squirrels are gophers. I want you to kill every gopher on the course. Check me if I'm wrong, Sandy, but if I kill all the golfers, they're going to lock me up and throw away the key. Gophers! You're great kid, not golfers! The little brown furry rodents! What made Squirrel Week unique was its reliance on kids to succeed where adults had failed. So adults couldn't get rid of the squirrels, 
But Heck's call to arms appeared in a pamphlet entitled Kill the Squirrels, which sought to stir patriotic youngsters to sprinkle rodent side outside squirrel burrows. Oh, man. Yeah. So there were rewards uh, of $50 to each elementary and high school whose pupils killed the most squirrels, which was about 800 bucks today. Uh, but that's for the whole school. Yeah. So, you know, what do you get for that? I don't know, a box of push pops? <laughs> you don't get push pops in school, do you? Uh, we had a bomb threat when we were kids. Oh, you got a bomb threat. How we got a bomb that? threat. I cannot believe we were so lucky. <laughs> there was someone called in a bomb threat when I was in fifth grade, and we had to go out on the recess like field, and my mom brought us all push pops. So that's what I think of as a cool treat at school. No, that is a cool treat, but like nobody, your mom paid for those. Yeah, no, my mom did pay for those. Cause yeah, she should get She knows what what kids want if you guys had killed more squirrels yeah we didn't have any squirrel killing thing we sold magazines i feel like maybe my school wasn't violent enough although there was a bomb threat (laughs) yeah i think it was okay so squirrel week ended on may 4th and kids across the state turned in a hundred and four thousand tails jesus so they didn't just kill them they had to scalp them man kids so Heck must have had something against squirrels. So he just thought he'd get rid of squirrels and gophers at the same time, maybe. Well, gophers could be called ground squirrels, but he wanted the gophers gone. Like we looked at the pictures. That's what he yeah, wanted. Yeah, I think he wanted the gophers gone. But every ad, uh, uh-huh. uh, we'll, we'll post a link to this article yeah. on our website so you can see the... Every ad said squirrel. The fly, I, yeah. What I want to point out, though, is if you are a squirrel racist in this day and age, you need to know that your propaganda comes from some rich dude in California that wanted gophers killed so you're hating the wrong animal in the first place exactly i really think that this is important that you all check your squirrel racism yeah check it (laughs) (laughs) sorry to get serious man i I got real yeah rachel getting real (laughs) we should have a new segment and then i'll just talk out my ass because that's what i do when i get real so after this uh you know california this terrible california extermination (laughs) they became more and more despised across the country and then from the 20s to the 70s uh most states had wildlife conservation and exotic pet laws so you basically couldn't keep squirrels at home anymore and you can't keep squirrels at home today and you know, today you hear from wildlife experts that um, they don't really make good pets because they've got scratchy claws and they need a lot of space and a finicky diet, which, uh, you know, makes sense because they're a wild animal that needs to live outside. So that's my squirrel story. It's That's crazy. First of all, I am kind of sad that they're not still pets. I'm happy that they're free and that they're not getting murdered. But it made me think about, okay, what other weird pets have people had? And I didn't find like a big overriding, here's a population of an animal that people had. But I found a list of some really weird pets that historical people have had. <laughs> oh, okay. That's great. <laughs> so my favorite... I guess I should maybe save that, but I'm not gonna, uh, is the 16th century astronomer. And his name was Tycho Brahe. I think that's how you pronounce it. Tycho Brahe. And um, apparently he was like the super eccentric astronomer anyway. He kept a moose. (laughs) That's right. A pet moose. But here's where it gets even better. He kept the moose in his house. It wasn't just out and about 
In fact, it was known to roam free during parties, like, right? <laughs> so he would have these big ragers at his house. Yeah, I'm tr- I, now I really want to know what a 17th century astronomer's party would be like. Well, we can look I, into that. There's a moose there. <laughs> well, and the moose would just consume any alcohol that was around. And one fateful night, he drank too much, took a tumble down the stairs, Aww. and died. Why was he let upstairs in the first place? He's a moose. You can't really stop him from going anywhere. But But why was he allowed to be drinking beer with the dinner with everybody else? A drunk moose shouldn't get to go upstairs. Yeah, but I don't think that this was a house that was necessarily responsible. It was an astronomer who kept a moose and got it drunk at parties. Astronomers are notoriously (laughs) irresponsible. I mean, this guy was kind of rad, really. He was a wealthy nobleman. I don't know if he was really rad, but it's pretty fascinating, certainly. And we'll put a link to one of the articles about him. He purchased a replacement made of gold silver alloy for his nose that he lost in a duel while drunk. Okay. So I'm getting a pretty good picture of this guy. Yeah. So not only does he party with Moose, he dueled, lost his nose and got a new one made. He got a grill made for his nose. Yeah. A gold silver grill. <laughs> And he would use a little small vial of paste to reattach it when it fell off. As he walked around, he'd just carry this little vial. (laughs) He also Uh, hired a dwarf named Jep, whom he believed to be clairvoyant at his court jester. No, I don't believe any of this story now. (laughs) I think you're just shitting me. I'm going to send you the link. It's in mental floss. (laughs) I don't think there were moose in the 17th century. (laughs) Have you ever seen a moose in person? (laughs) You can't be sure that they exist. So that's um, Tycho Bra. He's I don't kind know of... that you can top that. Other notable ones are Salvador Dali had an ocelot. Those if... are beautiful. Yeah. You know the show Archer? Uh-huh. The ocelot on Archer is named after Salvador Dali's uh, <laughs> ocelot. Audrey Hepburn had a deer. And she would just let it roam free and it would just basically follow her around like Disney character. I have a friend who had an upstairs neighbor who one time was hiking in the Angeles Crest Forest and came upon this baby deer that was kind of trying to walk and stumbling around and she thought it was hurt. So she picked it up, put it in her car and brought it back to the Fairfax district and uh, put it in her upstairs apartment and it learned how to walk in her apartment. Oh, that's horrible. You don't just go into the Angeles Well, its mom was nowhere around. That was her thought. Its mom was probably trying to, you know, find it some dinner or something. Yeah, And uh, (laughs) she just took it home. My friend could hear the clip-clop of its, you know, as it was learning to walk upstairs for about a week. And then finally she called, like, Wildlife Services or something. That should have been the first thing she did. If you're taking that animal... Yeah, probably it shouldn't have been taken at all. Just back away, finish your hike and, uh, you know, take some pictures, but don't take the deer. So hold it. Now, is there any chance your friend's upstairs neighbor was Audrey Hepburn? (laughs) Well, she was an actress. And we so was my friend. This rumor. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was Audrey Hepburn. Um, another good one is Lord Byron, I guess, got pissed when he went to college because you weren't allowed to have a dog on <laughs> campus. So he looked through the whole bylaws and found out that, yeah, it is true. Dogs were the only things not allowed. So to stick it to the man, he went ahead and got himself a pet bear. <laughs> a pet bear? He got himself a pet bear and it lived with him in the college. 
Wait, how did that even happen? It was happen? his roommate. It was his dorm roommate. <laughs> his college roommate was a bear <laughs> yeah. and not not one of those furry men. Yeah, no, not that kind of bear. Not like we're going to go dancing at Akbar, awesome bear, <laughs> but a real life bear. Did he get mauled? He didn't. Apparently, they were tight bros for the rest of whichever one died first life. Did he drink beer and fall downstairs? I haven't found any information, but I also haven't looked farther than the um, (laughs) list that I found. So you want me to tell you about my story I found? (laughs) Yeah. So I'm checking out the online Smithsonian Magazine, and a headline jumps out at me. I mean, most of their headlines jump out at me. I know. They got some good stuff. Here's the headline. For 40 years, this Russian family was cut off from all human contact and unaware of World War II. Wow. How does that happen? Right? You'd think that everyone would have known about World War II. Right. And how does just one family get cut off? Here's a hint. Siberia. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. So in 78, apparently... um, Did they have a tiger as a pet? They did not have a tiger as a pet. They really fucked up in that. (laughs) Everyone needs a Siberian tiger as a pet if you're cut off from the world. So this is what happened. I mean, they didn't know about a lot of stuff. Apparently in the late 70s, geologists were flying around Siberia looking for oil. Hey, flashback to oil. And while in this helicopter in 78, they saw a huge clearing. They finally realized it was man-made. It was in the remote south of the forest about a hundred or so miles from the Mongolian border and it drops into a thickly wooded valley around that area. So they fly in and they find a group of people, but it's just one tiny family that have been living in the middle of nowhere by themselves since 1936. So the war happened. Did they escape from somewhere and escape to live? They know. Oh, they didn't even know about it. They the didn't war. even know about it. It was 36. So it was a mom and dad and kids or who was Yeah. It? So what happened was basically they, they go down, they settle in next to the settlement in a spot that's never been explored. And the Soviet authorities had no records of anyone living in that area. So no one had thought to go up into these mountains and see. And the geologists and the crew get up this mountain and they're heading for the spot. And let's just read here. They began to come across signs of human activity, a rough path, a staff, a log laid across a stream, and finally a small shed filled with birch bark containers of cut up dried potatoes. And then this is what one of the geologists said. Beside a stream, there was a dwelling, blackened by time and rain. The hut was piled up on all sides with taiga rubbish. If it hadn't been for a window the size of my backpack pocket, it would have been hard to believe people lived there. But they did, no doubt about it. And we could see that our arrival had been noticed. Wow. So when did they make contact? In 1978. And what happened was the door creaked and a figure of a very old man emerged from this tiny little shack of a hut. And they say he looked straight out of a fairy tale, barefoot, wearing a patch and repatched shirt made of sacking. He wore trousers of the same material, also in patches, and had an uncombed beard. His hair was disheveled. He looked frightened. We had to say something, so I began. Greetings, grandfather. We've come to visit. Wow. (laughs) Right? And so I guess the guy didn't really reply immediately, and then eventually said, well, you've come this far, you might as well come on in. (laughs) And so they went in, and then as soon as they get in, 
the silence that you'd expect of these people that haven't had any human contact in 40 years. They had small children, two of whom had been born after they moved into the forests, who just sobbing and trembling and freaking out. They had no experience with strangers. They had no idea what was going on. So it became this thing where the hysterics happen. One of them was crying, this is for our sins, our sins, and they had to bolt out of there. But eventually over time, they got to know these people. The old man's name was Carp Lykov, and apparently he was what was known as an old believer, a fundamentalist Russian Orthodox sect that worshipped in the style unchanged since the 17th century. And old believers had been persecuted since the days of Peter the Great. They finally just had it and said, screw society, and they took off to the woods. So did they take off with a bigger group of people? and then this was all that was left? It was just themselves, just the Lykov family. So it was the old man and his wife and their son and daughter. And then you said there were toddlers? So did the Well, they weren't toddlers when they found them, but there were two girls born in the woods who had never seen any other people than their family. Uh, That were of the old man and his wife? Mm -hmm, Correct. Okay, so it wasn't the... This didn't become an ancestral religious family thing. Not to the best of our knowledge. So apparently once... um, Um, The atheists, uh, Bolsheviks took power under the Soviets. Old believer communities that had fled to Siberia in the first place began just retreating further and further away. And this is just one family. And they were a family of four when they got to the woods and then had a couple more kids. So then they were a family of six by the time the geologists found them. Okay. And the whole family was still alive? The mother was still alive too? Yeah, they were still alive. It gets a little bit dark because they did not do well after being exposed to people. So they stayed living in the... Yeah, they stayed living up there. They had the Bible. That's what they read. The parents obviously knew of cities and towns, but the kids, it was so foreign to them. Their son was nine years old when they moved out there, and the daughter was only two. Natalia was a daughter, so she barely remembers anything. I'm sure the son, you know, he's nine. He maybe remembers something. But then two more kids were born, Agafia and Dimitri, and they they had learned everything about the outside world from their parents. So they knew there were cities, they knew that humans lived crammed together in tall buildings, and they had heard of countries other than Russia, but they were just abstractions for them. They had no concept for that. They really just focused on the Bible and surviving. Like they were near to famine for a long time. They had to make everything from scratch. It wasn't till Dimitri became a little bit older that they even added meat into their diet. They just lived off of whatever meager stuff they could grow or gather there. So it was a rough life, but that was better than what they felt like they were going to be dealing with in atheist Russia, where it was not cool to have a spiritual belief or religious belief. Yeah. Once they explained stuff or showed the dad new innovations that scientists had brought up, he was excited about them. And he like loved all of the knowledge and the information that happened. It just seems like society was creepy for them. So they cut themselves off. It wasn't like they were trying to cut themselves off from technology or anything. Thing. It looks like once they re-established contact with the outside world, it's only three years later that their mother died, and then three of the four children died within days of one another right after that. Wow, they couldn't live without each other. Apparently, yeah. And apparently the two daughters like spoke some weird gibberish language. Um, oh, that's really interesting. There's a great documentary from the 70s about these two sisters who had an American father and a German mother, uh-huh. and then a German grandmother. And they lived somewhere near San Diego. And the father was told when the girls were born, they were twins, he was told that the girls would be learning disabled. 
he never bothered to get them tested. Mm-hmm. So he didn't know if they really were. He just, someone told them. Or not. A doctor told him. He figured this doctor knows better. And so the way that the girls were treated at home was as if they had this disability. And so they weren't really talked to. And so what happened was they developed this gibberish language that they could understand between each other. But it was a mixture of the English that they would hear from their dad, the broken English that their mother would speak to her husband, and the German that the mother and grandmother would speak to each other. And so they just created all these words based on those three languages and not being talked directly to. That's so insane. There's a really amazing documentary about that. That's really and, cool. And developing their own language. I would love to find out more about that. Yeah. Sure. Are, are they still alive? Do we know? Yeah, they're still alive. And they, they ended up having jobs, but they didn't go on. I think if they had been helped at a much younger age, maybe they could have gone farther with education and a mm-hmm. career, but they, they had a hard life. But they created their own language. Like these yeah. ladies, I totally was like, oh, it's like now swaying in the wind. But it was maybe a similar thing. Uh, okay, so the documentary is called uh, Poto and Tabango. It's amazing. And these people and lived among the society, but they just weren't sent to school or anything like exactly, that. Exactly. They didn't know. So the girls' names were uh, Poto and Cabango. Those were names that they gave each other. Their actual names were Grace and Virginia. So the documentary about them is called something like that. I think it's called Poto and Cabango. And it's really fascinating. But that story also reminds me of the brothers from New York. Uh, I think there's a documentary called Wolfpack about them. Yeah, I've been wanting to watch that. Yeah, it's really interesting. And this is totally different. They were not living in the mountains of Siberia. They were living in skyscrapers in New York or apartment buildings in New York. There were six brothers and they were not allowed to go outside. They were not allowed to leave their apartment. And so everything that they knew about the world was based on TV and movies and mostly gangster movies. They could go outside sometimes, but it was a very rare occasion. So when they went out, were they allowed to interact with people? Do we know? Uh, No, they were not supposed to interact with people. And their dad was the one who controlled the keys. So it wasn't like they could get in and out whenever they wanted. They were forbidden to communicate unless they were said they could. And that didn't happen very often. But their dad had this amazing collection of 2000 movies and so they could watch anything they wanted to watch so they, um still but no freedom i mean it's a little flowers in the attic shit very flowers in the attic right very flowers in the attic so five years ago was the first time that they were starting to go out and it started with the older brothers sneaking out and then they all started going out and the documentary is super interesting oh i've um, got to watch this what is the theory behind that like that guy There's some controlling ass shit right there. Well, so their mother was raised in rural Indiana and their father she met in Peru. He was uh, Hare Krishna. First, they lived at the Hare Krishna Center in West Virginia and then they moved to New York City and lived in a Lower East Side housing project. So from his intention, he was thinking, I'm protecting my kids from... The outside world. Yeah, Yeah. like I'm going to raise them so that they can have pure fantasies about gangster movies and... (laughs) I do think that it's like the reasoning's fucked, but I'm fascinated to see what kind of humans did this produce. Like when the boys went out, what did they want to do? Were they immediately taken by the city? Were they wanting to see more movies they hadn't seen? What? Well, they wanted to see things that they had seen in movies for sure. So the the filmmaker who made this movie called The Wolf Pack, she Uh noticed them walking down the street, I think on one of their sneak out excursions and chased 
chased after them and wanted to talk to them. And so she befriended them. And then they also loved filmmaking. So they wanted to become filmmakers. So she was talking to them, I think, about filmmaking. She also, she filmed many of their first experiences. So like uh, first visit to a restaurant, first time at a beach, first bike ride. Whoa. Um, And she took them to Coney Island and also to a movie theater. How did she know who they were when they snuck out? Did she, was this like a community that was known? Like, no, no. If I remember correctly, which maybe I don't, but what I remember is that maybe she'd seen them in the neighborhood and thought they looked interesting or something. Somehow, whatever actions they were doing, she thought were interesting, and I think she approached them. Wow, and she just you know. stumbled I mean, upon. I mean, there are these six brothers out with long hair. Like, they stand out. Yeah. You know? Once he snuck out that first time, they kind of figured out how to sneak out more, and so then they all started sneaking out. And then that's how, on one of their first uh, excursions out together, this filmmaker spotted them, and she ran after them. Do they live, and they're able to come and go now? Is this... Yeah. So she took about five years worth of footage and then made this documentary, The Wolf Pack, which was at Sundance. And then they came to a premiere with her. Wow. They've gone to red carpet appearances. uh, They've been in magazine shoots. And in 2015, they still lived in the apartment together, except for one of them who moved to Brooklyn. Is the dad around? Yeah, the mom and dad are still married. So one of the things that happened with these kids too is that they never had contact with their grandparents so their mother's parents they never spoke to after a certain point and after this documentary was they got back in touch with her so now they have a relationship with their grandmother again i mean isn't that illegal though to lock your kids up and not let them out was there any charges brought against the dad uh i haven't read about any charges i don't know maybe there's something maybe it's like being homeschooled or something so it wasn't like they weren't being fed wow he hasn't responded to any requests to be interviewed or anything like that it's just crazy. I mean, we're not yeah. journalists, so I don't need to keep my judgment aside here, but what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's crazy. So here's a here's a little bit about what they are doing now, the brothers. Uh-huh. So one of them's a yoga instructor, and he attends the Hip Hop Dance Conservatory. Uh, another one is a camera assistant and director of photography. It's Yay, awesome. great. Another one works at New York Public Interest Research Group. I don't know what that means. I don't know, but that um, sounds cool. <laughs> Sounds interesting. And uh, another brother is an onset production assistant at All Day Every Day. And then um, the other two brothers are aspiring musicians who are totally into 80s music. Okay. Well, so, you go, boys. What happened to the girl? I don't know. They, <laughs> I don't know that they ever talk about the girl. Girls get forgotten. Yeah. There's only one of her. There should have been six girls. <laughs> she would have gotten more play. so anyway those are some weird random facts yeah thanks for sharing that with me i do need to watch that documentary i've been wanting to it's so good yeah it's great i liked finding out more about them and and finding an update that they're uh yeah they've moved on they're really charming i'm excited to watch it i do think and i you know i'm sure there was a lot of love there in the family i'm not trying to judge that but come on the dad is weird like locking some kids up. I think there are mental issues going on there. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, then compassion and love. But don't fuck with kids. Don't fuck with kids. And quit making them kill squirrels. <laughs> Even if you call them squirrels and they're gophers. Still not better. Don't kill squirrels, gophers, or kids. <laughs> Listen, just quit the killing, people. <laughs> <laughs> just quit the killing. That's our new t-shirt. Yeah. Are I mean, you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking killing me? All right, everyone. Have a great Memorial Day weekend. Eat some barbecue and then remember it. Yes. Memorialize your barbecue. That's what this is all about. I'm sure this holiday has nothing to do with anything else. It's only about barbecue. All right. Well, that's Barbecuing good. squirrels, gophers, oh. and kids. 
<laughs> so we can let that be the last word on on that. I think that's the last word. Bye. Bye.